0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avram and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom Abroch, this is uh, Gaonic Literature, and there's probably no one uh, more illustrious connected with Gaonic Literature than the Nitziv. And it's not accidental, and it isn't just... You know, he he threw a stone up and decided that uh, he was going to, um, you know, choose a book to write about. Uh, This was actually part of a process, part of a process that I wouldn't say was necessarily part of what Voloshin stood for, but in the Nitziv, it's synthesized because of how much he was a Voloshiner. So let me really explain this, and I we have to do a little bit of history. Uh, uh, you know, there is, of course, this great document, and this Kidmas Haymek, the the introduction to his masterpiece, which is a commentary, and uh, on on the Sheltes Torah uh, I saw there's a question exactly how to pronounce that Hamik. Uh, She'ela, is the way it's usually pronounced, the Hamek She'ela. And it's based on a Pusik in Yeshayahu where um, Ahaz is told that he needs to ask questions, ask for a, a question of how God will prove him something. Will he prove something in in Sha'Allah, which might be somewhere in the depths or it might be in the, like the word Amek, but the Nitziv's son of Chaim Berlin um, Felt, and they were very much like friends more than they were father and son. Remember, the Nitziv he was born when the Nitziv was sixteen, and um, they pretty much grew together. Uh, it's sort of like a and the Nitziv treated him uh, like like a like a younger brother more than he did a son in many ways. How much he appreciated him. So Chaim Berlin uh, was. Uh, was the one who th- decided eventually that this would be a great name for this work, Amik She'ela. And then it civil- appreciated it because it had to do with depth. It had to do with figuring things out. It had to do with taking these She'elots, so to speak, of the of the shiltot, and really provide, I would say, almost, um, it's almost head spinning depth to the work. Now, the work, this is just the introduction, and I'm going to talk about the introduction in a minute, but it seems clear to me that the Nitziv was working on on this Shealtot, the commentary on the Shealtot, for many, many years. It didn't happen in five years. It was something that was probably the product of 10 or 12 years of work, perhaps even more. And that work, I believe, based on what I've been reading, was undertaken when the Nitzv was quite a young man. And why would he take on this massive undertaking? Uh, Now, I I, want to just point out that the introduction that he wrote to the work was, in a way, his like. his statement of what Torah should be, what the vision of learning should be in a way, it's the greatest uh, single you know, essay that we have from him. He's re- he wrote other essays as well. The reasons behind antisemitism, which is of course called Sherry's role Riz- Um but this is an essay about how Torah worked and how Torah developed. Um, its history, philosophy, parshonis, brilliance, written in a in poet. It, it all rhymes. I'm going to show you soon. But that was really just the crowning uh, the crown of the work. The work really was about the 171 shiltot, the 171 essays that Ravachoi. Writing in the 8th century penned. I've mentioned before, that was the first work that we know that was um, post the Talmud uh, that has a name specifically to it. There are collections of chuvos, of course, uh, but we don't know who wrote them. Later than the Shultas, we have Rav Hai. much later, of course. He's almost a Rishon, almost at the beginning of the period of the Rishonim. Um, the Sefer Humemka from Rav Hai, the Igeris of Rav Rafhai's Rav Hai's father. Rav Sadia, who is later than the Shultas, of course, wrote a number of books that were all connected to him. But he is the first Sefer post the Talmud that the author's name, is connected to the book. The Bahag that we've spoken about here, which are which is a number of alojas, we're not sure who the author is. So it's a, it's it's quite in doubt. But it seems like Shiltus has always been Shultas de Rabajo. The work, as I've said before, was unusual. It was an unusual work because it only dealt with 170 topics out of thousands of possible topics. In a way, it dealt with mitzvos, but mitzvos as they were connected to the parsha in in, in interesting ways. It dealt with shiduchem in parshas Chayosara. It dealt with um, loshin hora in parshas Vayeshev because of Yosef bringing dibosam Ron. In many ways, it's quite inventive uh, of, of the connections the sefer had, but it was. It was an interesting work because it was a fusion of halacha and agoda. Selected agodic material that were sliced together, spiced by Rav HaKo, along with certain halachos. And there's been a lot of speculation as to why those halachos and not other halachos. Why are not certain mitzvahs dealt with and certain aren't? And there's been a lot of theories. Some say it's because he was fighting the Karaites. Some say that the work was really a gigantic work, but all that's left from us is little pieces. Suffice to say, it's an unusual work. It's, in a way, as a Gaonic work, as an early Gaonic work, it, it stands alone. There's nothing like it. And I talked about this in a previous sheer. All right. So why is the Natsiv drawn to this work? Why is that he decides to devote those years towards it? Now, what were the years that he devoted anyway? Well, we know the Nitzvah becomes Rosh Hashiva of Elotion in the full Rosh Hashiva in 1853. In 1853, the Nitzvah is 37 or 38 years old. Uh, maybe when you were 37 and 38, you thought that was pretty good. Maybe you thought that um, you were already a, quite an advanced person. But to be the Rosh of the most prestigious uh, place of learning in Lithuania, uh, uh, that's pretty something. At, a, at quite a young age, he was already the Rosh Hashiva of, of Voloshin. Now, how did he come to be the Rosh Hashiva of Voloshin? He was married at the age of 13 and a half to Voloshinos, one of his daughters. Rietsa uh, Veloshner had five daughters and three sons, and the nitziv was married. I'm not sure which number of the daughters, but he was married to one of the younger daughters, not the the oldest daughter. Um, and basically, although he had was he, he was he came from the city of Mir, he came as a young fellow. And even though he was uh, he was quiet, people did not know who he was. People realized that he was bright. To say the Nitziv was not exceptionally bright is, is, is there's no way you could say that. And and Gil Pearl in his doctorate uh, of the Nitziv has, has has shown that that you know it, it's a canard to say that. And and he has proofs that Nitziv was known. Whether he wasn't necessarily the world's greatest evil, but he was clearly someone of a tremendous. He was someone of tremendous promise. Um, but he was young, and. As he, uh, in whether they gave him housing or not, he was basically a, a little child uh, that was, you know, probably attending some of the shiurim. Um, in many ways, in the shadow of his older brother-in-law, who was being uh, primed to be the next Rishisheva, Ravitsak Itzik uh increased the size of the yeshiva uh, after it was opened in 1803. Uh, when he became the rashib in around 1820 uh he increased it uh to 400 to 500 students at that time that was a giant yeshiva but he was always running around collecting money um this and it's his father-in-law uh dealing with uh, a lot of public demands uh he was part of the uh, the very famous um delegation that went to the Tsar in order to speak about all the rules that Russia had in place for Haskola. It was there that Rabbi Yitzchak together with the Tzemach Tzedek and other leaders, Machsidas and, and others, uh, tried to do what they can to stave off, which meant that the Yeshiv itself, many times Rabbi Yitzhak could not be there. And his oldest son-in-law, the Blazer Yitzchak Freed, um, who was a genius, who was not only a genius, and here's the point I want to make, he was also a, he married his cousin. Um, Rabbi Freed was Rabbi Chaim Voloshner, the head of the yeshiva's son-in-law. In other words, the Yitzhak Voloshner's brother-in-law. The first cousins married each other. So Rabbi Yitzhak Voloshner's daughter married uh, Freed's son. So basically he was not only his cousin he was also, he became his son-in-law and he was a grandson of Ravhaim Chaim of course he should be the next Rosh Hashiva he's got both <laughs> he's a son-in-law of Rabbi Yitzchok and he's also a grandson of Ravhaim Chaim and uh, of course what was the Nativ then? The nativ was this young fellow who most of the time, was learning. He had haruses, but he was working on some project. That's He was working on, and we'll see what the projects were. One of the projects he was working on assiduously in his teens, in his 20s, probably really, he probably really started working on it in his mid to late 20s, and perhaps early 30s, he was putting the finishing touches on it. That was this work. Was that unusual? in Voloshan to do that? Yes, it was. Most of what Voloshan was dedicated to was Shas. Now, in Voloshan, they learned a page a day, and they went through Shas. That's the way they did it. It's it, We know in most yeshivas today, the way things work is that it's uh, there's about seven or eight masertos, and you go through those masertos continuously, maybe eight or nine. You know what they are: suvis, Bava mitzia, Bava kama, uh, kedushin, um, shabbos, sometimes, um, and Bava basra. So you have the three babas, kedushin, gitin, yavamos, another six. And basically, that, those were the major mesectos. Sanhedrin wasn't part of, the, isn't part of that learning. Um, Brechos isn't part of that learning. Beitzah isn't part of that learning. Kachim isn't part of that. In in the Litvish yeshivas, there were seven to eight mesectos, and those were being learned consistently. Bava Kama, Baba Metzia, Baba Basra, Gitin, Kedushin, Yevamos, and Ksuvus. That was it. That was Noshim and Nazikim. lotion was not that way. lotion went through Shas. Every day they did one daf. And they did it well. It wasn't a daf yomi of 45 minutes. But basically they spent morning and afternoon and night Seder on one page. Meaning two sides of a page. And then they went to the next page. In other yeshivas, they could spend a week on one page. But Voloshan, that was the Voloshan style. Another thing about the Voloshan style was they were extremely thorough about that page. Now let me explain what I mean. A lot of people will say, well, there's not much here on this page. I'm just going to do it quickly. I'm going to wait for the meat and potatoes. I'm going to wait. These couple of pages are just droshot chazal. I'm going to wait for the real meaty arguments. So, Which is the way when I was in Mir in Eretz Yisrael, many pages of the Gemara we just ran through quickly in order to get to the real McCoy stuff that's not the way it was in Velozhin in Velozhin the way of Chaim expected the, the, in, in the way Rabitsula and Rablazer Lezer Yitzchak and the nitziv were used to learning was on every page you would do the Gemara Rashid and all the Rishonim now does that mean every Rishon you could find? No there was a certain hierarchy of Rishonim, right? You would obviously do the Rosh and the Rif that were in the Gemara itself and whatever commentary on the Rift that would be, the Yosef, Aran. But you would also do the classic Spanish Rishonim. That would be Ramban, Rashbo, and Ritvo. Did, did they do the Meiris? Nah, not really. They weren't really that popular. Um, but basically, every page, they did all the Rishonim on every page. And they expected the students to be able, in their minds and their notebooks, to be able to give a concise digest and analysis of the rishonim on every page. That was the Vilozhn style. The, now, certain pages are not as, <laughs> as not as uh, exciting as others. It didn't make a difference. You did your work, and therefore, in Vilozhn, there wasn't unlike some Chassidic yeshivas in other places. In Velozhin, the Rishonim were extremely important, and you needed to know how to read the Rishonim well and understand the differences between them. Now, did you get to Psak Halacha? No. But you at least had the basis to get the Psak Halacha if you became a Rav. And many of the Velozhin stu- students who later graduated Brought to their to the world of halacha, a tremendous amount of thoroughness on the page itself, and that thoroughness was a now now didn't necessarily include the rishonim um, that were in, in, in somewhat obscure, as I said, but it was a very solid methodology. Not every yeshiva had that, and not every yeshiva did it. With a consistency of, we're going to go through Shas. So, somebody was in Velozhen for a number of years, he would be able to, Now, did they follow? There was no Dafyomi of Rav Meir um, Shapiro at that point, but they still went through every page of Shas, including Kochin. They went through everything. And that was, and where you happened to show up, that's where things would be. That was the Velozhen Derech. Now, um, Voloshan, when it re-established itself in the 20th century, already was a little bit different. But that was the Voloshan Derach of Rav Chaim. Now, why am I telling you this? I'm telling this because the Nitzv, although he was concentrating on something else, he applied the Voloshan-like tools to that, which meant, even though there might be a section, and again, in his case, the Shiltos, that was a little bit Eh, it's not so exciting. It seems to be a small point. He wasn't going to let it go. The same way when he was in yeshiva, as what was going on in yeshiva, they didn't let go any of those as parts of the Talmud that are sort of, oh, this is just a drasha, this is just agadita. You learn up the agadita too, and you look all the psukim up, and you and you find everything. You don't just rush through anything. Every page is given the same diligence. So that attitude of diligence and thoroughness that Nativ brought to this work. But why but he realized while he was doing this, and we've heard this from a lot of anecdotal stories, he became sort of like a um, a pariah, not a pariah, but nobody knew where he was. He wasn't in the Base Medrish, um, you know, showing his stuff like his brother in law. He was learning in a room, he was looking stuff up. And writing consistently and therefore people didn't know the caliber of his mind in fact even his father-in-law had his doubts rabitzvah who was a very wonderful um, uh, uh, judge of character did not you know he he knew his son-in-law was quiet was a learner but and he knew he was working on something, but then he discovered a letter. The letter that he discovered was from the, the someone that was known as the second Vilnagon. He was known as Rabdavid Luria, the Radal. Some of you might have heard that name, Rabdavid of Bichav. <laughs> now, he was working and had been writing and, and actually was completing what is probably next to the Nitziv Shiltos, one of the other great masterpieces of that time. And that is a commentary on the earliest Midrash that we know. That is the Pirke de Rebelezer. The Pirke de Rebelezer, which is an incredibly themed commentary, a, 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 a parshonist on how God came into the world and what God is doing. And it, it has like a story to it, it as a framing device. And many of, of the statements of Chazal that we find in later Midrashim can be traced to the Pirkei de Yezer that are based on Yezer ben Hurkanis, the great teacher of Rabbi Akiva's school of learning. Now, was he the actual author or not? I'm not going to get into that. But what Reb, the Radal, Rabdavid of Bichav, was considered, he was born when the Vilnagon died. And therefore in 1798, and people said that he had the same qualities of a photographic memory and an ability in any statement of chazal to be able to find all he was like Rab Chaim Kanyevsky of our generation. Any statement in, in Chazal or anything, he knew the Midrashic connection, plus the Zoar Ari, He was an incredible, incredible Yadin, Rabdavid Luria. Now, he was, as I've said, 20 years older than the tziv. And he was already, he had already, was working on Pirkei Derbelezer and had written a commentary on Medrash Rabbah. The Tziv and him became, um, were writing to each other, even to the point that uh, the Tziv ended up editing one of uh, Rabdavid Luria's works on the Medrashim. He ended up editing it and and and, fi- and and applying the footnotes and proofreading, so they became fast friends. The Netziv, in other words, in his little corner was sending out letters and becoming connected to something. What was he becoming connected to? Well, Radal wasn't just a man on an island; he was part of a movement, a movement that we don't recognize its significance. We all know about Voloshin now. When I made, and we know the yeshivas that rose in the ashes of Elishin, Mir, Tells, and others, Grodna, Lakewood now. But what was happening besides the yeshiva that Rav Chaim Veloshner started, there was another gift that the Vilnagon gave. And that was actually energized by his son, Rabbi Avram. Rabbi Avram, the son of the Vilna Gon, in Vilna, um, wrote a sefer called Rav Paulim. That sefer, which I, you should have a copy, is basically a, a, a small little encyclopedia of all the midrashim, and in other words, all the works of Tanoim and Amaroyim that we have. So it's a very you, you would think the Vilna Gon's son would be, you know, writing a, a magnum opus on on halakha the work that we have from the Vilnagon's son is a work on midrashim it's a scholarly work on midrashim was he a maskil no in fact he and a group around him decided inspired by the Vilnagon that what they would do is basically rediscover tenatic literature that had been pretty much ignored. Well, there were plenty of commentaries on the Talmud. In the 18th century, meaning the 1700s, what we have is a proliferation of commentary on Yershalmi. Bavli, the Yershalmi. The great comment, and it's a strange thing, there are Rishonim who wrote on the Yershalmi, but In the 18th and then beginning of the 19th century, the Yishalmi was swarmed upon by a number of different authors. In other words, what was happening, and especially after the Vilna Gone died, there was an impetus to gain familiarity once again with all tenatic literature. And what starts in Vilna, in the end of the... 18th century, the end of the 1700s, the beginning of the 1800s, is we find a number of Mahabram working on Pirushim on Medrash, working on, and Rabbi David is just one of them. Now, there had been commentaries before by Italians. There had been commentaries before by Kadmonim. But these students, that Vilna group, that circle that Gil. Pearl calls them the Vilna Circle they brought a, a, um, an expertise to their work and they also brought to it a mastery of Talmud Bavli so ta- these were all treme- Rabbonim who knew Talmud Bavli, I wouldn't say backwards and forwards, but well enough and therefore what they started producing uh, and because the access to Hebrew printing in Lithuania started to explode, what starts happening is they start zeroing in on these books. And then as you, if you take out a Medrash Rabba, you have the Parish Marzu on the Medrash Rabbah that I'm sure you've seen, or the Parish of the H.C.O. safe. These are all commentaries that are really a byproduct of this movement. And the Natsiv, in a way, is part of that as well. He's in Voloshan, but he knows what's going on. He, he still, he, he knows his shahs, believe me, but he also has, is working on a commentary on the Sifre. The Sifre, as, as, as Gil Pearl points out, and again, it's, it's, he didn't really need to tell you this, the parish of the Nitzvah on the Sifre was only published posthumously in the 20th century. It was it was published uh, you know you know uh, you know fifty years sixty years after he died but we happen to know it was his it was the work that he was dealing with in his youth the the commentary akhaitsiv which is the way it was printed um uh, has references to and again one of the great uh Jewish historians that the Maral felt no jewish person should even look at, uh, Azaria de Rossi, the Maureen uh, There's also references to a number of, 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 of Haskoah writers, Naftali Herz Wiesel, who Mendelssohn uh, uh, hired to write a commentary on Vayikra, but also the, also who had written uh, Perushim on uh, what was known as the Sfar the hagiographia the, the Sfar Machitzonim. He had written a parish on, on the wisdom of Solomon, uh the native references him consistently uh in his commentary he wasn't rashi yet and therefore he in a way although he we have no reason to believe that he wanted to change things in judaism but he was extremely open to literature and what was going on and he he he, he was he was a bibliophile and therefore the parish of the, of, on the Sifrei is very different, as Gil Pearl points out, than his parish, the which Dover, which is, was printed in the 1870s, which was based on his lectures to the bochrim in the Yeshiva. In other words, the parish on the Sifrei and the parish on the Shiltos is the young Nitziv. It's the young Nitziv before he becomes Rosh Hashiva, when no one knows how great he is. But, he, but it wasn't just that he was a man out of his place. What he did was, more in the Shiltos than in his parish on the Sifre, he took the Volusian approach and he applied it to every page of the Shiltot. Now, the Shiltos was, it was well known. I mentioned in a previous class how the Baleatos was, consistently quote the Shiltos and it was used a lot. It was a safer people love to look at and find and compare to what was in the Talmud. And there had actually been been commentaries written on the Shiltos but none of them were written with the depth of every line of every nuance he was trying to do other than do a thorough job. The Nativ had an angle about who the Gaonim were and who Rav Acha was. But that angle developed as he was working on the book, and that really was is, is that introduction that I was referring to you before. Um, now, I'm going to read some sections from his introduction. and He, he published this in 1861. So he had already been Rosh for about eight years. This became his mission statement. And in many ways, the the antagonism to the Ntsiv was antagonism to what we're going to hear. People didn't people felt that the Ntsiv was so hardline about his derech that he developed that he was squashing and stifling the the bochern. It's un, it's unfortunate, but Again, I don't know how much truth there is to it, but I do know when someone is very single-minded and has an approach that they develop in their youth and basically stick to it and it becomes somewhat encrusted, the next generation tends to bristle when they feel that this is somewhat outmoded. And I think that was part of the reason why the yeshiva almost fell apart Um 10 years into the Nitzv's reign as Rosh Hashiva, in Eretz Yisrael, as you can see here. We know that, as the Torah says, was a byproduct of who? Of a Sanhedrin who always had a Kohen, and the Leviyim. They were in the Lishkas right next to the base HaMikdosh. bituchim al-or Another, let me read it again. There was the Or of the Oron. There was the Kedush of the Kohen govel All of that gave an extra push. She'echavnu lamito shoteira which meant that somehow people's minds raced to the truth due to sort of a heavenly influence that allowed them to see things clear. I'm sorry. That the or of the oron would be turned small, it would be oh, he knew that we we're going to go into goals. Torah. And we know that the places where they were going, there wouldn't be the besa mikdash and the kohen there wouldn't be that or zoreach sayata yevdu but what happened is is that they would not be able to know how to how to pass so what did he do yoshio he realized the Horbin was coming so what did he do what he did was t'siva lignos esa aron. he said we're going to hide the aron. he told the Levium. You're not going to be carrying this aron this anywhere. The Levi'im became much more important than just living in their cities and encouraging people who had run to them to become better people after they had killed someone. What was going to happen now? So, the way the Nitziv explains it, well, what happened now is that The B'nai Eretz Yisroel would would start and would develop, disseminate a different style of learning. And what is that? Pilpul. pilpul What did that mean, Pilpul? What did that mean? What it meant was that you would not just know what was right, you would Pretend you didn't know what was going on and try to, in a sort of a tricky way, figure out what was happening. A pilp of a bi yisrael In other words, to actually think about cases that you wouldn't necessarily think about, that hadn't happened yet, to actually push your brain to think about situations that weren't really occurring and wonder, what would you do in this case? What else Yoshe Yahu did was, he encouraged group study. What, What did that mean? He encouraged classes, he encouraged people to get together, he encouraged open discussion and debate. And you know what happened with that? Here, And therefore, there was more ideas because people were now actually forming groups that that wasn't the case up until that time. And they also figured out what is the Raita, what is the Rabbanon. They weren't really aware before that. Everyone just was religious and followed the law. But by coming together and by actually encouraging a lay population to be involved in understanding, people now knew the difference between what was from God and what had been established by various but they deem him throughout the ages. That's what he meant. Ivdu, you're going to serve God, because sheyedu Malaasas malasas bedinim sheinu Matko because this practice that was happening in the years before the korban would help them. Would help them through the goulas, because the goulas that's happening, it's going to be full of not just speculative theoreticals. Actual problems of what to do because and and if they didn't have that methodology of in a way the methodology of 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 being in the dark and then having to work their way through the puzzlement, they would not be able to have the tools to deal with the future and what that does, he says, is that sharpen their minds now um that's the reason why when yoshio died it's such it was such a terrible thing that your that Yirmio wrote this the that was that's why we say ashemesh that yoshio when he died that was like the sun set in midday because why was he the sun why was he so great he wasn't the great king he made a lot of mistakes politically the Nitziv turns him into one of the great champions of Judaism. Again, which is interesting because, you know, before the Nitzv, I don't, again, we do have this idea that Yoshio was a Tzadik and we worry about him, but the Nitziv says he's the son. Why is he the son? <speaking in Hebrew> because he is the person who 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 began the system of enlightening people if he would have lived longer his energy, his vision would have created even more Torah now okay. so that is what in other words what happens is is that a new style of learning, Yoshio recognized it and then he says that when the Oron will go into Golos and we go into Golos there is another effect. Pilpal rises. Pilpal, which is sometimes not true, which is sometimes uh, a way to sort of be amusingly sharp in connecting things and, and, and maybe 20, 30% wrong. But what it does is it, it, it's, it's addictive. And it's open to even young people. And therefore, um, that becomes a derach of learning. A derach where you don't really know and you figure things out working from backwards to front. Uh, The way he understands Yoshio Amelech's, Mm -hmm. uh, 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 you know, of Azhara, his exhortation to the Jews was to actually do stuff that was tough and difficult that you never did before. In other words, learning had been pretty straightforward. Ivdu actually meant... To sort of like force yourself into somewhat of a difficult strain to actually begin to, to sort of wonder about things that weren't really relevant and, and try to solve these halachic riddles. That was ivdu as Hashem alakeichah. So in a way, it was it, they were not used to doing it. So they sort of felt like, oh, this is like it's like it's like high school kids that never that have been watching movies and that their textbooks have all has been with cliff notes, and now they actually have to break their head to think about stuff. That was the ivdu. You know what I'm saying, Bob? Mm-hmm. So it was actually more of, of of how we understand, you know, avoda. Whereas it really is something now, of course Yoshio felt that this would once you become entrenched in it and they became good at it, it would actually save us, but at this point, I think it's 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 like a voda now, when they came to Bavel um, um, Yoshio told them that the way you're going to Paskin, Yeshu is earlys alki pi Hakira va. So, what are you going to do? In other words, you know what you know. Now try to analyze that thing that you know and apply it to what you don't know and see is it the same or is it different? In Eretz Yisrael, even in Bayez Sheini, where they didn't have the Shechina as, as strong, there was something about being in Eretz Yisroh that you did not need the same amount of mental energy to figure it out. Masha <laughs> Ain came b'bovel, Bovel was different. Bovel was different. It says in ovester Rabnasan, Ein ka'ava shel why? That that Eretz everything comes easier. It's like you get it. And as he quotes the Gemara in Sanhedrin, what does the pasuk mean? B'mochshachem oshivani. God put us in the darkness. What is that? That's the way they learn in Bovel. He says that, that doesn't mean that Bovel is bad. But since there's not, look what he says, it doesn't have the light of Torah Ba'etsa. The Torah's light is not there inherently. How does the light of Torah get there? It gets there not because, like a not because there's like a powerful radiance that everybody feels within himself that's built through pilpil. Pilpel builds a bonfire, and that's what happened in Bavil. Um, So that's what we need. He says, therefore, why does it, what does it say about Bavil in the Gemara? Bavil is the term Balul. It's mixed up. There's Mikra, there's Mishnah. In other words, B'Mikra, Balul, B'Mishnah, Balul, Right, Everything is all mixed up. But what do we need to do? And you need to sort of, like, sort it all out. But by doing that, even though it's messy, long-winded, that's the way you make this avuka gadoa. And he says, this is sort of like what the medrash says, that bavel learning, that learning of pilpa learning, is like a huge, uh, like an old mansion that's full of many rooms. And when you're in there, the medrash says, you don't know how to get out. Basic training. When 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 soldiers are sent in the mud of Georgia, right? Uh and, and to go on their bellies and go and go into war, right? Why do they do that? They do it, Doctor, because in war you're going to have to crawl under en- en- enemy lines, right? The basic that's what Yoshio was trying to get them to do. The, the, it was almost like you're right, it is self-fulfilling because they lived in places where they were under persecution. They did not have the time and the energy. They didn't have the Yishav They didn't have the sense of self and, and, and the ability to sort of like shine like they did in Israel. And therefore, the Pilpul derek of Bavel, which becomes Talmud Bavli, is described here, as you can see, as being in a big mansion and the only way to get out is to find ropes and to tie one rope to another but if you have a light you don't need to do that right if you have a big light you know exactly where the exit is but you won't be able here's the point you won't know all the beauty of the rooms if you have a light, you oh, I, I don't even know about that room. I just, need to, I just need to know how to get to my bedroom. And I need to know how to get to the dining room and how to get to the exit. But the Babylonian way, the Medrash says in Kohelis, actually allows you to, it's true, you might have ended up like in the wrong place. That was the attic. That was the cul-de-sac. That was the room that you're not supposed to go into, but that has all the old magazines in it. But you know that in better. You know it better because of all the all the stumblings and things that you've done. All and, and you and, and you basically, in a way, although you haven't seen it in its light and glory, you know the building better. And that's what he says. He says, <laughs> oval im cane if you if you have a big light you won't know how detailed that building is but if you don't have a light and you the only way you could go is in the dark every night a little bit a little bit and, and a little bit further based on the 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 bed sheets that you tie together and he says, Vegam nich shall come at Aha. At the end, although it's in your mind, in your mind you've constructed a light of how brilliant this binyan is. So he says, the They didn't have to work so hard, but the Chachmei Bovel were different. They needed to work really hard. And they were wrong many times. Many times you find in Talmud Bavli, Rav Yosef says something, no, he's wrong. Oh, badu sehi. There's so many indicators that although these men, and again, here's the Nitzv willing to really knock them down a peg, but allow us to see that, we we want the Talmud Bavli to be a work where you see the warts of sometimes of the players and you see their intellectual mistakes. And in fact, we find in, 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 in the Gemara, the Gemara says, it says many times that a certain Rav, a certain Amora, came and said, "I was wrong." In fact, the Gemara says in no. Gitin, "Ein omen divrei The only way. The only way you're actually going to know something is if you spent maybe months and years in it and was wrong, erased that blackboard and started again. He says when Ezra came back, he says things went into a little bit of a, uh, of, a, ret- of, a of a of a of a retreat. They need pilpul again because there still was some bit of shechina in the second base mikdash. There was still a Shimonat and and, and and Kohanim Gedolim that they were able in a way to match what happened in bias Risha. But then, as we know, and what happened was Pilpil went into a little bit of a reversal. But then they need but what happened? But then the bias Shane after Hanukkah, before Hanukkah, after Hanukkah. Uh, after the the uh battles when everything started to start to go down then what happened what happened was is that they didn't have the kohanim gedolim they had before and therefore learning suffered and he says torah was almost eliminated that's why hillel as we know from the gemara and psachim where did hillel come from from Babel. and that was what he Because Hillel had had been raised in Babel, where although he became the Nasi of Eretz Yisrael, he was a Babylonian. And therefore he knew in Babel, unlike Israel, they felt just like those bedsheets. They needed to give a title to all the different hermeneutical rules and how they were all different from each other they were the ones who had the guidebook in a way that came through trial and error. So therefore Hillel and his children, they were the ones who were able, as we see, to actually bring the Torah back. Because what did they do? They actually brought the best of Buvel back to Eretz Yisrael. And therefore, he said that through Hillel, who sort of inserted this Babylonian Yeshayahu Pilpal method. So there was enough in there to to sort of like allow the learning to coalesce and to be able to create the Mishnah. However, even though Hillel was able through his Babylonian sharpness to ape, and look what he did, this was really an important point he was he was able to benefit by being in israel and he was through the errors of his learning he was able then to develop the seven or 13 principles that eventually became the principles that we plug in all over shas and all over Peh. however the native says that um Israel and Bavel still were very different. And he said, it turned out that even though Hillel came from Bavel, a typical Eretz Yisrael person learned by himself. Most of what they tried to do was to figure out, okay, a new question, I'm going to give you the answer. How did they do that? And here comes some, here comes some uh, rhyming from the Nitziv, beautiful prose. Okay, here we go. The, the the rhyme is the hey. So here we go. Alpha pisha b'ukivel v'kaben midas <laughs> evel u'nistano darkei alimud shomedina u'medina u'me olam zos al yisrael chach meyaret yisrael lemedim koach ko'echod echad b'fnei atzma ve'ikar shkedosam likvo alocha pesukah. Ha the way they knew the Mishnah, because they knew the Mishnayot. dover the little bit of pilpo, They could take that fire and connect it and they had it. And how could how come it only took a little bit of fire? Because they had the halachos cold. The they still were involved not learning by themselves. you had to learn the and test me do I have it we know that people don't think the same. Shavos and sometimes, by arguing, they were able to get fresh water from the battle between the two parties. Upam, Sometimes they got fresh water. Sometimes they would stand at the trough of water. And they had to admit, I don't have it. I think I'm there, but I don't really know. What they were all working about was hora to get the psak, and that would seal things. And because they needed each other, because they recognized that it was only by working together that they would be successful, therefore ubishvil ze nogu ava was That's why in bavel they actually had more appreciation of each other. Kedin Rav Umora, they actually felt that you know I you're my Rebbe in some ways. Why? And that's why the Gemara says in Bava Metzia that the Talmidei they stood for each other because each one helped the other one, which wasn't the case in Eretz Yisrael. In Eretz Yisrael, there was a style of learning that was based on a flash of brilliance. It didn't come from the chemistry of and it didn't come from trial and error. And therefore, they knew that Pilpul wouldn't work. If someone is working on Pilpul and he's really, in a way, crushed the source, He's really crushed it. It's going to be hard for him to just start accepting. In other words, in other words, if you're used to figuring everything out and everything comes tough to you, and the way you do stuff is basically taking apart something until it, it rings true in your head, it's going to be hard for you to just be a memory guy carsho lovely ponos wishka algamora the kaboba la that you should just get all these facts and memorize them the kvar who showing the qwa bizchrono the way the way he gets things in his memory kim alpidas macorsho salakha it only comes by his, his 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 complete thorough analysis of an idea valma anza gamara hutful Midor Asher Lefnim, and therefore, Vehurgalu, um, the way they learn is shalo Lachotzi Daver They all start with a question, right? If If you remember, learning was by having a, a challenge, and then clarifying it. And I, Rabbi Kevlevich, I, I, I still. I'm still struck by the idea that this seems to be um, almost like the rivet versus the Rambam. I mean, it sounds like the Nitziv is to, is saying you have to do what the Ravid did. Um, uh, maybe I'm in the wrong time frame, but that's the rivet had a, a yeshiva and he and he had. Um, that's a, right, right. Ra- no. And and, no. and, and, and well, we don't. You you know, the Rambam was a obviously right, the, Ram, the is Rambam, more, Rambam is more he it, but, but, but he wasn't discussing it with anybody nobody was challenging it right. the Rambam is, is more like one of the Chachmei Eretz Yisrael you're right and the Raivit is more like working things out through, through like mm-hmm. one of the Israel a person from Israel who comes to Bavel, he's he's double the average Babylonian why? because the two can work together That if you have a lot of Kabbalists, you have a lot of memory, you have a lot of things that you know, and you pick up the derecha pilpal, then your pilpal will be not phony. Your pilpal will be correct. And even though you're dealing with a question that you didn't have a tradition about, you can rely on the facts that you know are clear. And therefore, um, uh, we have the opposite that if, if a person from Boville goes up to Eretz Yisroel, he becomes double the person that was in Eretz Yisroel. Why? Because he is now to, he's able um, to use his, his analytic powers and he can now apply them to the spirit of what's happening in Eretz Yisroel. And by the way, this is what Rav Moshe Feinstein said about Rav Nata Greenblatt when he wanted to go to Eretz Yisrael. that he wrote a letter uh, that was only revealed after Rav Nota died, that Rav Moshe said that this young fellow who's, who has spent most of his learning outside of Israel, when he goes to Eretz Yisrael, he's going to be twice as great as the average Eretz Yisrael learner. Now, how does this ta- ha- what, what does this have to do with was closed. When the Talmud Bavli was closed, what was it? It was this great mansion. It was an shell It was sort of like a, a tree that gave protection, that was full of such goodness, which was Torah. The kosha hapesh shoyol adas this is rhyming. Whatever you wanted, you can find in the Talmud Bavli. And if you really work hard, you sort of almost maniacally study it. You will get that wisdom. You will be able to find it. The sands of hidden of Pilpul. You'll find within it, if you read it properly, those strands of Pilpul. But you could also get from Talmud Bavli, imbidiyuk, lishon, Visugios, But you could also get it by, by just carefully rereading the language. Of course, that depends on your inner strength, your mental acuity. Talmud Bavli is sufficient in itself to constantly go back to with all its messiness to be able to supply, like Yoshio knew, a direction for almost any question. Now, the Gaonim, however, that they are the significant leaders after Chachmei Bavl. They were so familiar with Talmud Bavli, that they basically knew straight paths. They were never in doubt. So the Gaonim, in a certain sense, although they were in Bavel, in a way, they were sort of satisfied with this Talmud. And they were sort of like the B'nai Eretz Yisrael using Talmud Bavli because they were used to basically a type of learning that had, this is the path we know. V'zeh g'oram, and because they basically used the same paths over and over again, lo ishtam shu harbe b'koach even though they were descendants of the great Mafalpulim, they didn't use it. They sort of sat on their laurels of what Talmud Bavli was. And therefore, the Gaonim, had the Gaonim, had the learning stopped with the Gaonim, we would have had a big problem. There was another problem with the Gaonim, the Nitzv says. Mitzurif lezerov gzeros vishmodos. Now, this, as I said, is basically based on the Rambam. I don't know if it's historically true. The Nitzv thought it was true that they were overwhelmed by Muslim and other Xeros, mostly Muslim, that happened in the time of the Gaonim, and the Netziv says they weren't able to produce many students that could actually So he's saying they weren't they weren't able they didn't have the pilpul to to grab the interest they they had the xeros. They basically relied on the old stuff and they didn't really, um, they weren't able, the gaonim, to actually create the type of students that could really be the protectors of the next generation. And when they were asked questions, most of their answers were very short and cryptic. Or apikabola, you do it or based on a tradition they had. Or maybe it was some sort of unique style of a certain gon, but it wasn't necessarily able to be recreated in that gon student. So basically the gonim would have meant in a way a truncating end to Yoshio's dream. God wanted Barak Torah and to and to strengthen it in order for in order for Torah to be strong in order for Torah to be powerful. so therefore he, he what, what happened was the glory of Torah left Iraq. it left Bavel and through an, whatever bunch of political machinations, the Nasib says the glory of Torah after Bavel, was in France and Germany. And the truth was that was a terrible place, you would think, because they never got the Kabola correctly. But they, because of that struggle, needed once again, they had the shots. they had to figure it out. They didn't, they needed once again to take the bed sheets and tie them and through trial and error be able, as he says, to create. In France and Germany, and knowledge of Shas through Ian Vihakira. They worked hard, harder than the Geonim did. Why well, doesn't he mention North Africa? Because. Um, I mean, for what I know, there was one giant empire, Muslim Empire. Right? Yes, the, the, a lot of the yeshivas uh, were so, destroyed. Right. Bad so that was newly founded. They could travel. That's what happened. They traveled new to North that's, other lands. That's true. South Africa. Right. But America, he so, yes. so the Natsiv paradoxically believes that the North African schools that were pretty much clones, or at least were just accepting of the Babylonian, uh, you know, exhilarate, We're actually actually non-dynamic centers of learning. Interesting. Interesting He, 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 He says that the dynamism happened in the more distant area, the north in Germany and France, where they had the text of the Talmud without the keys and directives of the Gaonim. So and they're, they're able to go fresh, uh, start afresh, basically. That's right. They found a new path that was like a clear light. There was no great light of any specific own. And therefore, from the Choshech, they were able to bring out the Shalkeves, the torch of God. And all the ends of the Talmud showetzareh um, bigvura. And therefore, um, they were able, the Parsu al they sort of spread on this Gemara of holiness a brand new mantle, a brand new overcoat that was different, that looked different and was learning different. And that is why he says again, you know, that the gaonim really had to be rediscovered because they were sort of it was only the rishonim, the baliatosvas, who basically bring the gaonim and make them relevant again. Specifically, Rav, they should tell you, the Netziv felt he himself, um, in his careful analysis and reading, was much more like the true pilpil of the Benet B'Avill. Because he felt the way you figure things out is by going back to the drawing board and, and, and looking. It's not by finding and thinking of um, brilliant um, comparisons. That, he felt, was his, 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 his nemesis, Rav Yosef Dov Soloveitchik. <laughs> That's the way he learned. And the felt his derech, the slow analytical style that he had applied to the shilto's, um, that's what he was really in a way extolling. And that's what he demanded from his students, was from them to not degrade anything, not to jump, not to feel that they had the light and now everything started becoming connected. He kept on stressing how every line has to fit, how every word has to make sense, how every gear, how you have to how you have to have to analyze the different textual um anomalies and see what one means versus the other. Even though the difference might be a slight subtle point, you hope it would lead you to some brilliant thing, but the Natsiv wanted people to do that type of work. And he wanted every page studied in that way. the students, as I said, rebelled. they felt that that what he was doing was pushing himself, and they felt that this work uh and this 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 introduction in a way was in a way self serving <laughs> to what why he felt what he was what he was doing was not just some sort of vanity project that he was working on but really represented the purpose of what pilpul learning should be and he, he held that these, these volumes of the Shilto's which were published in three volumes represented really what he expected his B'nai Torah to be able to Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode